I was I spent um, last Sunday morning at Victoria Baptist Church. Um, Chris, the minister there, is a really good friend of mine, and he's taken a bit of time off this summer, so he asked me to go and preach up at Victoria Baptist, which was a real joy to go and be part of. But I really miss being here, so I just watched everything on the live stream so I could see secretly what you were doing. <laughs> oh, this is not going to work. Turn the fan off. Turn the fan off. That's going to blow your notes everywhere. Oh, gosh. There. Oh, no, I've turned it up higher. Down, down, down. Okay. We're holding these. Hold them for a second. <laughs> But um, so I did, I, was, I watched, I was watching what was happening and um, I was really jealous because I really wanted to be here and Jürgen, you did an outstanding job yeah. in just kicking us off in our summer yeah. series. Um, oh man, I, yeah, I just love listening to it and it's just a joy to hear some different voices speaking in the summer and some of you will know Rach and some of you won't, but Rach is an amazing woman of God. Like, if I'm, is Andrew in the room? And I think Andrew's mom and dad are. Oh, you said Oh, no, he walks in the wrong time. I was going to say, you know, Andrew left to go and be part of the team in London a few years ago, but we kept the best one. So, you know, <laughs> you know if, we, if we got to keep one Wilson, <laughs> we like both. Oh. We like both, but, you know, when you say but that you with have, your kids, like, choose, one's better. You have to choose. And Andrew would play that game. Like, if you had to choose which Wilson to save from a burning house, who would you save? You know. That's <laughs> good to know. But Jenny, oh man, I've been in church now with Rach for 20 years. She grew up in this church. She's just an absolute... The thing about Rach is that you just, you cut her and she is who she says she is on the inside. That's what I love about people, is that what she says this morning and what she's passionate about, what she cares about, she's like a stick of rock. You cut her and she believes that stuff. It's not hype. It's not just something for saying for the sake of it. Something that she truly is. And I love seeing that model to us as a church. I love how she displays that as a leader and as a woman of God in this church amongst us. Um, if you really enjoy listening this morning, I would encourage you. She, she works for an organisation called Jubilee Plus. They're a brilliant social action wing of New Frontiers. And on Monday, every Monday morning, they release videos called Monday Mercy videos. And they're brilliant that you can watch. I've left a few flyers and bookmarks that you can pick up. And again, if you're prompted by some of the things from this morning's um, yeah, preach, then please do like listen in every Monday for words of encouragement. It'll just stir your heart and remind you what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But come on, let's put our hands together. Say a massive, massive thanks and welcome to Rachel. Right, is this working? Yes, we're on. Okay. Can I just say, that fan is the stuff of nightmares. Like, I, I actually could have had a nightmare about that happening. That was, that was amazing. What a way to start. And Jürgen, as, as Ollie said, Jürgen gave such a great introduction last week. And thanks for your introduction to me, Ollie. That's really, thank you. And, um, but Jürgen's introduction to this whole new series that we're going into, uh, looking at one scroll and 12 chapters. And I'm really pleased to be talking to you today about the book of Micah, which is like one of those chapters. And Micah is a fantastic, if, if you want to get given a book to speak on, I was like, yes, I actually got to have the pick of the crop, and I was like, yes, I want Micah. And the whole message of Micah that we're going to be talking about this morning is really contained in the meaning of his name. So we know in the Old Testament that names are really significant. My name, very significant, female sheep. Been massively shaping to my life, really helpful, thanks to my parents. But, but Micah's name is quite an unusual meaning of his name. It's actually got a question mark at the end. You see, Micah's name means who is like our God. And perhaps you've actually come into church this morning asking that question. We've sung songs about lambs that are sitting on thrones. 
and we're getting these hints of like, this God is unexpected. There are some surprising things that we might not expect about Yahweh, about God. And in this book of Micah, we're looking for a window into the very heart and the character of God so that we can get an answer to that question, who? Who is like our God? So could you just give us a little bit of context? Micah's living in a small town in the southern kingdom of Judah. And quite a while before, the kingdoms have divided. So the northern kingdom, there's a southern kingdom. And in the north, sin, by this point that we've reached in the Bible, sin is rampant. It is everywhere. But the thing that we know about sin is that sin never, ever stays private. Sometimes we can feel like we've got personal sin and we've managed to keep it under wraps. It's just not true. Sin always becomes public. It always has public implications. So sin has spread from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom where Micah is. It's like an infection. It's like a pandemic. And it's no respecter of state boundaries. And whether it's through friendships or military alliances or business deals, this sin, the R number, has gone up and up and up. For every person that sins, it's like four more do. And we're here in Micah 1.9. If we have it up on the screen, it says, for Samaria's plague is incurable. There is no vaccine for this sin that has spread. It has spread to Judah and it has reached the very gates of my people. It's like saying this pandemic has reached the very gates of the King Center. There is nowhere you can escape it. And it's coming from the top down. That's the worst thing about it. It's actually being spread from the leadership down to the people. So instead of confronting sin and injustice, the leaders and the prophets in Israel are actually just purveyors of that sin and injustice. And Micah's coming with a warning. He says that just as the leaders are laying in their beds and devising evil plans, so God is actively planning disaster against them. He's going to give Assyria, who are their absolutely vicious enemies, success. And they're going to take the north, and then they're going to destroy Jerusalem. And then the bad news just gets worse, because after that, Babylon's going to follow and bring even greater destruction. And we can read stuff like that. We can read books like this, books like Micah, and kind of, we're almost asking ourselves the question, like, why is God so angry? What's made him so angry? And the effect of all of this sin and corruption, the problem is, is that it's doing something quite specific. It's defaming the good name of a holy God, and it's defaming who he is. Go back to that question, who is like our God? The effect of this sin is to defame him. You see, the Torah, up until this point, the Torah, the books that the, the, books that the Jewish people are reading, the scriptures have again and again, God has laid out really specific protections. And he is interested in the widow, the orphan, the refugee. He's laid out all of these protections. And the problem with what's happening at the moment in Israel is that sin, and specifically sin against the poor, is having the effect of misrepresenting who God is. You see, we just talked about Assyria. Assyria, their God wants you to sacrifice newborns. That's what their God demands. He says, sacrifice newborns. And Yahweh is angry because he's saying, I'm a God who shows mercy to the orphan. And how dare you? How dare you pollute my name? The needy, it says in Amos, are being sold for the price of a pair of sandals. And, um, and the same girl is being shared by a man and his father as well. Immorality and sin and sickness against the poor, people are being bought and sold. 
And the people that are being affected the worst by it, and this is the crux of God's anger, are the people who are least able to cope with it. They're the people who were already struggling to survive, the vulnerable at the very bottom of society, and social disintegration is filtering through from this leadership at the top, sin at the top, all the way down to the bottom. We hear that even in Micah 7, that even family members are turning on one another and they don't know who to trust. And it's the poor that are being oppressed as a result. And God's anger is specific. And it's actually a reflection of the level of his love. It might help, I'm just going to stick up a slide. It might help you to picture society, both then and now, as a tree. And this is an assessment many years ago that I used in a previous job. Before I had kids, I used to work for a carers' organisation. And I ran a befriending scheme for carers who were quite vulnerable and isolated in rural areas across East Sussex. And a really good way of assessing people when they came into the scheme was actually to ask the question, who are you? So this is the tree. Are you the person standing at the top of the tree? You've got your hands on your hips, you're winning at life. That's it. I'm a winner. Are you a person halfway down who's balanced on a branch and it's a bit precarious, but someone's got their arm around you and you're all right because of that? Do you feel like you're climbing, climbing, climbing to climb the tree? Or are you the one hanging by your fingernails, desperately trying to cling on? Is it possible you're the one who's already midair? You've already fallen and you're on your way down. And doing this assessment with someone is really emotive. And it was a really weird experience, actually, because um, I later have... I, the same carers' organisation I worked for later did the same assessment on me. And that was, like, that's just quite an odd situation to be in when you're sitting on the other side of the table. And it can be a really emotional experience. You might be feeling that in the room right now. You might be thinking, that's me. I'm just... God, really, I'm trying to cling on. So in Micah's day... What's happened is that crisis has come, and it happens in our days too, and crisis causes that tree to shake. And crisis can hit society in any way. It might be conflict, it might be corruption, could be a global pandemic, could be a cost of living crisis, could be a war. And what happens is as crisis hits the tree, the tree shakes and the people who are least able to cope with that vulnerability or that crisis are the ones that get hurt the worst and God is angry about that. And this is happening specifically in Micah's day because of sin against the poor and against the weak. Instead of protecting them, as they've really clearly been instructed to do, they're actually oppressing them, actively oppressing them. And in Micah, in Micah 4, if you've got a Bible, in the NIV, I think it is, um, the head, they've got a heading to the chapter, and the chapter is, it's really ominously titled, Human Plans and God's Plans. And I almost feel like it should have, that should have some scary music accompanying it. You see, in Micah 4, verses 1 to 2, we're going to read what? Oh. No, I've got the wrong, sorry, Micah 2, verse 9. I'm going to read it. Don't worry. I think I've got the wrong one up there. The first word in this, so listen up to this. Whenever you hear this word, take notice in the Old Testament, okay? The first word is woe. When the word woe is said in the Bible, you almost need to stop reading right then. You see, there are parts of Israel and surrounding area that prophets prophesied woe over that have never been rebuilt upon again, where nothing has ever grown again since. It's an absolutely serious word. So Micah says this, woe 
woe as he speaks on behalf of the living God to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out. Why do they carry it out? Simply because they can. Simply because they can do it with impunity. It says they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Back in Micah 2 verse 9, it says, You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes and you take away my blessing from their children forever. And if this sound familiar in the light of recent international events as well. So what is God going to do about it? What is God going to do about all this injustice against the poor? It says, human plans and God, under human plans and God plans, it says, I am planning disaster against this people. Just imagine that. The living God, Yahweh, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You see, you have made your human plans because you can, and now I am actively planning against you. So you can understand, that gives us a really good sense of context, doesn't it, of why the prophets of the day, it's almost like they've got their hands over their ears going, la, 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 can't hear you, can't hear you. This is not a good news message. This is not what people want to hear, that the, that the God um, in heaven is actively planning against them. And just as an aside, it can feel sometimes, can't it, to us in Eastbourne, that this sort of power grab, this sort of violent aggression, where the poor are disenfranchised and something is taken away from them that belongs to them, can feel like quite a distant reality, can't it? It's just helpful to think you are probably just a few rows away from somebody who has lost their property, their inheritance, their employment, their reputation as an act of, act of aggression against them. And if you're not a few rows away from somebody like that, it's because we're reaching the wrong people, because there are plenty of people living in Eastbourne right now who've had that experience. You see, if you go back to the tree slide, the holy anger of God expressed in this book, it gives us a window into his character. You see, as we go through this book, but as we go through this whole series, you're going to see God, a side of God that is unexpected, a surprising bias You see, God has a surprising bias towards not the strong and the winners at life, not those at the top of the tree. He has a surprising bias towards the clingers on, the ones that have already fallen, the weaker, the vulnerable, those on the very margins of society, the Rahabs, the Tamars. He chooses the weak and he works with them. And that preference for the poor that's expressed again and again, clearly in Scripture, is also expressed in a message of hope that he puts. Whenever there's a message of judgment, you'll see as we go through this series, there's always this message, a matching message of hope. And right in the middle of this book, there's a vision for God to rescue and restore the broken, but not only that. Sometimes we can talk about rescuing and restoring people, but for those people to be at the very heart of the kingdom of God, I just want at this point to share a couple of photos with you. So three of the adults in these photos would have sat in the chairs that you are sitting in 15, 20 years ago. They all found their home originally in Krasnoluch in Ukraine. And years ago, we had a link with Ukraine and they came over. So Michael and Julia, who are on the right, would have sat in this room. They might have sat in your chair. We've got Christina, who's sitting in your chairs this morning. And her husband, Oli served our church for a year 
many years ago. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's a strong link with them as well. And I wanted to share just very briefly something about their story, because these are people facing unimaginable challenges, having been made refugees, not only once in the case of Michael and Julia, but twice now, have to start again. And Michael and Julia are currently living in Poland. They crossed the border, and thanks to the generosity of people in this church, actually, they've been housed in Krakow for the last six months. But they've not just, there's not been a sense just of the rescue and the restoration of God, but within about three weeks, they were leading worship in a church plant in Krakow, and they have strengthened that church plant over the last six months in amazing ways. On the other side, we've got Oleg and Christina. I hope you've had a chance to meet Christina and the children, and if you haven't, I hope you do. They're among us in incredibly difficult situations of not being able to be together, their heart's desire, they're not able to be together, but both very much serving God and serving the purposes of God in incredibly difficult situations. Christina's been translating in Eastbourne for Ukrainian refugees with no language skills themselves, and she's already advocating and gathering people to her. And I just wanted to honour these two families and to say, this, these are God's people. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they have something to teach us. We don't just have rescue to bring to them. They have something to teach us. They have gifts to bring, and they're at the centre of the kingdom and the mission of God. And I've seen this time and time again, how God gathers. He gathers people, sometimes from the margins. I've seen it with my daughter, Anna. I, after lockdown, many of you come back to church. Anna was not a big fan of the two-metre rule. If you know Anna, she wants to be like there, maybe stroking your head or performing an informal like dental exam on you or something, but not so much the two-metre rule. And I really felt the lack of the church for Anna. I thought, gosh, I really feel that lack for her. But you know what? I felt sorrier for you all. Because I just think, actually, the church then lacks Anna, and that's a greater lack as well. These people are moving from the margins to the centre when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's something, Joel, many of you remember Stephen Ann Blaber. Joel Blaber, their son, when he was born, he had a life expectancy of four years old. He was born with Down syndrome and many medical complications as well. And at a dedication, I think, very early on, they had a prophecy that said that Joel's life would touch nations and that just seemed like, that seemed unthinkable. And Anne kind of scoffed at it and thought, that just doesn't seem possible. Within a couple of years, they were hosting Edward Berea, who's a New Frontiers apostolic leader from Kenya. He'd come over for the Brighton Leaders Conference and, they, and he was staying with them. And just before he left Kenya, Edward, he's quite an influential guy, had been asked to join a commission, a national commission on disability. And he'd said, no, I can't do it, I'm too busy. And after just five days of being in the same building, in the same home as Joel, and seeing his life and his dignity and his worship before God, um, he went back to Kenya and said, I've got to do it. I'm going to be, I'll be straight on that commission for disability. And so Joel, that's not the only story, there's loads of them. Joel just touched nation, nation, nation. Because this is how God works. These are the people he wants to gather and work with and build with and for us to be on mission with as well. He says, these are my people so Micah 4, verses 6 to 7, says, In that day, the day when sin has been dealt with and the true remnant is gathered, it says, I will gather, who does he gather? The lame. And assemble the exiles. These are his people. And those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. 
You see, he's choosing and he's gathering from the margins, the weak, the vulnerable, the oppressed, and these are the people he is building with. This is his priority. This is his preference. So what is this mountain going to be like? Can you go to Micah 4, verses 1 to 5? In the last days, there's this vision of hope right in the middle of Micah. Okay, so don't lose. Don't lose the message of hope whenever you see judgment. There's a message of hope. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Sometimes we can lose like, the radical edge of what this long-term promise is. This is a promise for Micah's day, but it's also a promise that gets thrown way into the future. It's like us in the UK saying, do you know what? A time of peace has come that is so significant. A time of shalom has come into our lives that is so significant that we're just going to give up the nuclear deterrent because we don't need it anymore. We're going to hand it over. There's a lovely image of this. I don't know if you saw the photo or video of a Russian tank being pulled by a Ukrainian tractor. But if we go back to verse 3, where it says, they will beat their swords into plowshares, that's ultimately, that's the promise of God, long term. It's not that tanks are going to pull tractors, it's that tractors pull tanks. Long term, fruitfulness, harvest, winds over war. And there's a time of property and inheritance and security coming. So we know there's an amazing time of peace coming as, as wars cease across the earth. And there's incredible comfort for a refugee in these verses. But I just want to go to back to, so to verse 4. It says, everyone, I love, this is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And whenever you see a vine, as you read through these books in this series, you're going to see vines and into the New Testament, constant vineyards, constant vines, and also loads and loads of fig trees. So why are these images being like drawn upon again and again to say something about the peace and the shalom and the prosperity that God brings? And then what I love about vines and about fig trees is it takes them about a generation to, bit, to actually grow. If you want to sit under a fig tree, you're probably going to have to wait 30 or 40 years for a fig tree to be big enough for you to sit under. And the listeners to this, the readers in these days, they'd know it because on average, they're living in a land that on average has been invaded once every 44 years. So every time the fig tree starts growing or the vine starts growing and they think they're there, it's taken away from in front of them. Many, many of these listeners and readers would actually have not, would know how long it takes for vines to become established and to produce wine and for fig trees to be big enough to produce shade and to sit underneath. So there's a beautiful image here 
of, of actually of dignity whereby someone is taken from that tree, you know the first tree that we had up where you're clinging on or you're sitting on the branch or you're just about holding on. He takes you out of that tree, all of that striving, and he gives you a new one and he tucks you underneath your own fig tree. There's so much promise in that for people who've lost everything, who've lost their homes, lost their inheritance, lost employment. You see, property and inheritance and fruitfulness and security are part of the ultimate destination for the people he chooses to gather, the people he picks, the lame, the exile, the vulnerable, the refugee. So again, God's level of anger is giving us an insight into his heart for these people to build with. But there's nothing more. If you want to be convinced of God's bias, his preference for the weak, his preference towards the vulnerable, his eye towards them, there's nothing better than if we go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Okay, but you, he points his finger, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, it's out of you, it's out of you that comes for me, a one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In the incarnation, don't you think it's fascinating of all the things that Jesus could choose to come and be, that he chooses to come and be weak, and that he comes from the smallest tribe, and he comes as a ruler born out of wedlock, born in a stable, surrounded by animals, and that as a toddler, he actively, as a toddler, chooses that he will come and will be a refugee and have to flee to Egypt. He identifies, he chooses to identify with the weak. He chooses to identify with those experiencing persecution. You see, I don't know if you ever thought about it. If if Jesus ever went back to Bethlehem for another census, maybe he's a 10-year-old boy, he goes back to Bethlehem. Isn't it it possible that he's looking around and going, do you know what? There's no other 10-year-old boys here because they've all been killed. So in Jesus' day, he would never have met another contemporary his exact age because that was the level of persecution that he chose to identify with in his life, but also in his death. He comes as someone who's experienced persecution. He knows what it is to lose friends. He knows what it is even to be attacked within his own generation. He knows what it is to be a refugee. He knows what it is to be on the run. He knows what it is for his life to be at risk. And that's the form and the social status with which he is actively chosen to come in human flesh. What an amazing window into the heart of God towards the vulnerable. And some of you might be sitting here today just thinking, do you know what? This sounds great. It's great that It's great that God identifies with the vulnerable. It's great that God's plans are for the vulnerable. It's great that he has this bias. But the problem with that is that I'm I'm a chief exec. I'm a head teacher. I speak English. I'm in the southeast of England. I live on the on the coast. I'm privileged. Does God not care about me? Does not God I not go towards me? So we're going to go back to the tree image. So here we are. Maybe you're looking at where you are and thinking, the thing is, if this is the tree in Micah's day, do you know where you are? You are somewhere over near Shinewater Lake. 
You're not even in the tree. You're not even part of it. You're an outsider. Most of us sitting here today are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. We are outsiders to the promises of God at this point. The only thing you need before coming before a holy God is to know that you do not qualify. You are weak. You are sick. You are in need of a doctor. That's the only qualification you need is to know you don't qualify before a holy God and that only somebody else can qualify you on your behalf. You see, you haven't met any threshold. You don't have any marketable skills to be admitted asylum into the family of God. Okay? You haven't met a threshold. You haven't ascended. You can't climb the tree on your own. Rather, a promised ruler from a small tribe of Bethlehem has come and he's thrown open the promises of God. And he said, do you know what? You, you can come in. You can come in. He has qualified you. In Romans 9, verses 25 to 26, he says, I will call them my people. It's drawing on a promise in Hosea. We're going to hear about Hosea in a few weeks' time. He says, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in a very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the children of God. Guys, that's us this morning. We are the outsider. We have been welcomed into the family of God, not based upon our own merit, but on the free invitation of someone who's gone on ahead of us and qualified us. We've been grafted into the tree of God. So guys, if, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us today? You see, if God shows his preference, if he shows his heart, if he gives us that insight into who he is, through scripture, through the way he chooses to come himself, and through our salvation story, our experience of coming to know him, how do we show preference? How's your bias this morning? How's your preference for the vulnerable? How's your preference for the weak? How can we do that in our day-to-day lives and express the very heart and the very character of God that we're seeing right here in the Bible? And this is great. And this is going to seem like a really familiar verse to you, but listen to it because otherwise you'll miss the significance of it. How do we do this? How do we live this out? Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And maybe you're asking that this morning, going, what do you need? What do you, you've done all this for me. What can I do for you? What does he require of you? What does he say? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you know what? That is the best sort of vision casting. Do you know why? Because it is totally compelling, and it is totally doable. In the power of the Spirit, it is totally doable. He has not given us something impossible to do. In the power of the Spirit, we can act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And I don't know about you this morning, but that, just makes, that verse often just makes me want to cry with relief. I think, that's what you want of me? To act justly, to love mercy. That's something I can give my life to. I can dedicate my life to it. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. There's going to be people here who are already in their daily lives encountering vulnerable person after vulnerable person after vulnerable person. And I just would love for you to know this morning the heart and the smile of God towards you and the equipping of God towards you as you live in that vision. 
We're going to pray for you in a minute. It's right for the band to come up as well. But I just want to challenge you as well that there'll be people here who are not encountering weak and vulnerable people in their daily lives. And there's things you can do. There's a really active response for you as well. I wonder if you can stand, if you in your, whether it's in your job or your family life, maybe you only need to go downstairs into your sitting room to encounter somebody really vulnerable in need of mercy. But if you are day to day encountering people and you think, I am needing to know the smile of God and the equipping of God to reach out, to act justly again and again, to love mercy, to show preference for the weak, would you be happy to stand now? If you just think, actually, that's me. Whether it's my role, I'm, just, I'm surrounded by people in desperate need and I need to know the favour, the equipping, the, the mission of God on my life. In fact, just close your eyes. If you're near one of these people, you think it might be in your classroom. You see, God has given you a sphere of influence and you might not feel like you have, but you have. You've got a sphere of influence. You've got a sphere of power. And there's a way in which for you to operate in that sphere of influence and sphere of power that fulfills a micro-vision. Equipped by the Holy Spirit that you would walk in every morning. Just put your arms out if you're there. If you're near someone, just reach out a hand. Lord, we love these people. We love our brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, we pray you would come and equip them again with a fresh faith, fresh power that they would see breakthrough, that they would not grow weary in doing good, but they'd be equipped and convinced and compelled by a vision that enacts what your heart is. God, I pray they would be image bearers of a holy, holy, merciful, just God. Lord Jesus, come. Have mercy on them afresh. Come with fresh power. Thank you, Jesus. I'd love the rest of us, if you're praying, carry on praying. I'd love the rest of us to stand now because this isn't just a liberal-minded social activist vision. This is about imaging a holy God. And that's what we're going to see time and time again in these books as we go through them. There is something about the image of God in justice and mercy towards the vulnerable. So I'm just going to put up a slide because I think that we all have a response. We've all got a response this morning. Because if you're not encountering people who are weak and vulnerable, your first response, can we have a slide of the partners we're working with? Our first response might be to go. You might need to go and find some vulnerable people. You might need to go and find some people in need. And there are vo- the, all of these organisations, there might be ways in which you can volunteer and actually encounter people who are in desperate need. So go is the first one. The next one is pray. You might need to pray for the sanctuary cafe. You might need to pray. Now you and Sally Brennan are meeting with refugees who are living in really difficult accommodation and seafront hotels. Could you pray for them? Could you pray for wisdom and equipping for resources? Same for Bramber Bakehouse. These are people who need to be prayed for. They're people on a front line encountering people facing desperate, desperate need. 
might be to go, it might be to pray, it might be to give. Over the last year, we've at King's Eastbourne have given £30,000 through Love Eastbourne to people in desperate need. This winter, the tree is going to shake, okay? Just so we see it coming, this winter, the tree is going to shake and people who are already struggling are going to be in need of serious support. Wouldn't it be amazing? There's still 9,000 in that Love Eastbourne fund to bless Eastbourne. But you know what? All you need to do, if you want to give to the church, all you need to do is put a Love Eastbourne reference, write it on the envelope of the cheque, put it on the website, put it as your reference on your bank transfer. If you want us to be an equipping, resourcing church in which we reach people who are facing desperate need, giving might be your way to do it. And if you, do you know what? I'm really aware there's people in this church who are going to struggle this winter as well, okay? It's within our walls. And so God is not asking you to do something outside of your means. He'd say, like Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What have I given you into your hand? Don't withhold from the poor, but what have I given you? What capacity? It might be, for some people here, sacrificial giving is going to be a pack of biscuits in a food bank basket after this service. And that's going to be a sacrifice. And he sees it and he loves it, and he smiles upon it. So it might be to go pray, it might be to give, it might be to host. At the end of this meeting, Ollie's gonna stick up on social media. There is a family of four right now who need a home. And if you have the capacity to accommodate a family of four and to host refugees in your home, they went on holiday in February. And while they were on holiday, war broke out and they have never gone home. And they are stuck in Turkey right now. So if you have that in your capacity and you feel like God is moving your heart to provide accommodation for a family of four and for many more after that, and it's not just Ukrainian refugees, we've got Syrians refugees, we've got Afghan refugees across the UK in need of hosting families. Wouldn't it be amazing for us to throw open our doors and to host people as well? And finally, I'm going to invite Ollie up in a minute and we're going to, we're going to sing about this God as well. We're going to sing about this God who's shown mercy to us and justice towards us. He's has his eye towards us, he has his eye towards the vulnerable that we're working with as well. But finally, last thing, if you have, and this will be a very small slice of people in the room, if you have the capacity to invest, please could you leave your name at the information point. If you're interested in saying, I can't give a significant amount of money, but I actually have a significant amount of money I could invest in a property for a refugee family, it's something Andrew and I are looking into and We'd love to hear from you and chat to you more. You just need to leave your name for us at the, um, at the desk as well. And we can talk more about that in future weeks if we need to. Ollie, do you just want to pop up? Should we just pray as we go into worship? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your heart expressed in your word. Lord, we thank you for your eye. Thank you, you're the God who Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees the refugee, single mother in the desert, the outcast, the vulnerable. Thank you, your heart is towards, Lord Jesus, I pray our hearts would ever be the same, would ever be reflecting you. As we leave this building this week, would we be image bearers of a holy, merciful, just God to everyone we encounter. Amen.